This is Mona Lisa Baseball, episode 5. It's August 12th, 2021. I left you off last time, speaking of good old Enron Field. Now, I can't remember what year they replaced it with Enron from the Astrodome, but I remember thinking it was intriguing and then it didn't take long before it just became rinky-dink. Um, right field and left field were too easy to hit home runs. Um, I remember Moise Alou hitting ludicrous home runs there that almost uh, almost made it feel like a Little League park. Now, it wasn't that bad, but it it kind of reminded you of that at times. But the most redeeming part of Enron Field to me was center field. And what I liked about it was it was a antithesis to how short the rest of the yard was. It was somewhere in the neighborhood of 430. It might have been 430 on the button. I can't quite remember. And... I don't know if I ever saw one hit out over center field, but I did see a couple balls end up in the quite controversial hill that was in center field. There was also a flagpole um, on the field, inbounds, I believe. Now, I heard a lot of gripes about Enron, and it always concerned those two things, the hill and the flagpole. But... Those two were my favorite part of the yard, and I have good reasons why. The hill made it interesting. It made the park more interesting just having it there. And it ended up getting taken out because people said it was dangerous or unsafe. I will grant you that perhaps it's less safe than if there was no hill. Only because the rest of the field is dead flat and that changes it. But I will argue that it makes it more interesting. And high-end athletes ought to be able to navigate such a thing. I don't believe anyone ever did get hurt on it. Could be wrong. But I don't think they did. And the foul pole, it takes such an egregious shot, dead center, that so be it if it did, if it would have been a home run, but the foul pole got in its way. Again, it almost creates something that just having it there makes it more interesting. And Alistair McKenzie is a golf course designer and a book that he wrote stated something to the tune of you never change a hole to make it less interesting. And I feel pretty similar about ballparks. Sometimes you have to change a ballpark, but if we really look into the ballparks that are, that used to exist that are now gone, um, 
we miss a lot of them. Well, Enron decided to take out the foul pole, take out the hill, and shorten center field. So while a long center field evened out the ball yard a little bit better, uh, that happens now less. So Enron is, to me, even more of a joke because it's lost the only things that it kind of had going for it. Now, it's pretty questionable why you would even have a baseball team in Houston in the first place, strictly speaking of the weather. Uh, Astrodome, it was what it was. I'm very glad that air is gone. Retractable roof, yeah, okay. That's that's kind of cool, but what percentage of the six, seven months out of the year are you really thinking... Yeah, the weather here in Houston is nice enough that we're we're going to play outdoor ball. It's just not really going to happen a whole lot, which is too bad. That's how the sport was invented to be played outdoors. But reason why I go into all this mumbo jumbo about Enron is I touched on it a little bit last episode when I'm speaking of everybody kind of followed the Camden Yards we're going to make um, a pitch back to the old school. And, you know, we're going to use, um, instead of having rounded outfield fences, we'll have uh, straight lines and different height fences in different parts of the ballpark. And that is more interesting for sure than the classic 60s, 70s park. Um, 330 down the lines, rounded fence, 400 to center. But it's still not interesting enough. I think our ballparks, I think we can do a better job of really creating. um, Because all it really is is you're creating a space that's the most interesting and fun to watch two great teams go at it. Um, I mean, what else is there? You know, you take the two obvious ballparks that have stood the test of time, the ones that are left, Wrigley and Fenway. It's not just me saying it's an old park, so it's better. Those teams are proud as hell that they kept a hold of those yards and they're still playing their games there. It speaks for itself. I'm not happy that Wrigley added two ginormous jumbotrons. I think the idea of putting a jumbotron in so that the people who aren't paying tickets that live next door that have high roofs you can watch a game from, the idea of blocking those people, I think that's horrible. I think... It's extraordinarily short-sighted. It's extraordinarily greedy. And it's a stupid move. But still, Wrigley's unique. And you can make a pretty strong case that it's the best field in the National League or the whole world. A friend of mine did a road trip um, partly by train, 
partly by Scooter, uh, where he went to Wrigley and Fenway, and he was living out in California. And he said it wasn't even close that Wrigley was by far the more sick ballpark than Fenway, which really surprised me. I've been to Fenway once and haven't been to Wrigley. I really wish I could have my own opinion on this, but uh, I can't. Uh, but isn't that interesting? Because on TV, it doesn't really strike you as anything too crazy outside of, you know, the Ivy and it looks different from other places. But it wouldn't make you think, oh, this is the best spot. But he said there's no comparison. I trust his word. He's pretty good um, about those things. And so... A lot of parks are new, and there's going to be some time. I don't think there's going to be too many new parks that are getting built in the next 10, 20 years. But if they are, let's throw some creativity out in the mix. And I'm going to throw out a few concepts here. Let's do things that haven't been done either for a while or ever. Now, at the risk of sounding like a buffoon, I'm just going to throw this out there. Does the field actually need to be 100% flat? Think about that. Think about you got the best ball players in the world. Let's just say there was a slight tilt to the field. That went, say, from left field to right, where left field was just a little higher than right. So if you hit a ball to right center, the center fielder's running slightly downhill to catch it. They dive headfirst and catch it, and their momentum carries them that much further into a slide. I don't think we should rule that out as a possibility. Similar to this hill, like, People would always say, why is the hill there in Enron? It's so stupid. Why is the hill there? I don't think there's any reason that we have to have a flat field. I don't think it should be unsafe. And I don't think the hill was unsafe. So don't rule that out. Shouldn't a field kind of be unique to the home, to the home team? Shouldn't the home team have an advantage, a slight advantage? Because they're used to playing there. When you read about the players that played at Ebbets Field, the Dodgers had a right fielder that seemed to be able to play the caroms off the right field better than any other player, any other team, any other person on, on the Dodgers. But the point was, what made it so cool is that's a, that's a home field advantage. Sports wants a home field advantage. That's always the most exciting thing. Okay, compare this. <clears throat> What's more fun? The walk-off at home or the walk-off, say, it doesn't work for baseball, but in another sport, let's say a three-pointer at the buzzer on the road to a stunned fan base instead of a you know, um, leap, leap as high as you can with your arms up because you just saw the greatest thing in your life 
the home team won. Home field advantage is important. So without getting too detailed, I want you to use your imagination and imagine, think back to like when you were a kid and when you had to create your own wiffle ball field and how you said, you know, if it goes into the pool over that fence, that's a home run. I've played at fields where the short porch was in center field. I'm not saying that would be a good thing for baseball. But what I'm saying is let's be imaginative to present the opportunity for two great teams to go at it. You're both playing on the same field. Hey, one team might have an advantage because they played more, played there more often. But that's good. That creates interest. So dream some things up. What would be wild? What would be wild enough that could be accepted? Because I've discovered that this is the line. These are the parks that are the coolest. And Fenway is a great example of this. Get as close to Rinky Dink as you can without it being Rinky Dink. That's probably going to be the most fun ballparks to play at. Think of Fenway, Green Monster. It's not rinky-dink. You're tempted to say it is at times, but it's not. It's 420 to right center. There are big areas of the ballpark. It's 300 and change down the right field line, but there's something really interesting about it. But is it a gimme? It's not a gimme. So walk that line in your mind of, God, is that, is, because it has to still be professional. It has to feel professional. You know, you're not going to have the infield full of rocks getting bad hops and, you know, people getting black eyes and things like that. But just get creative for the ballparks that are to come. I think we can do a better job of making them more interesting. You know, kids don't play wiffle ball on the street anymore. At least they don't like they used to because when I was a kid, it happened all the time. You drive through neighborhoods, you ride your bike through neighborhoods. I don't care if it's football or basketball or hockey or anything. Kids aren't even playing out in the streets. And so at this point, it's kind of up to us, the people that grew, you know, the current adults that know the sensation of creating their own field, whether they're playing with tennis balls or wiffle balls, to make it interesting to the max and maybe even walk in that line of rinky-dink. I mean, you know what? If you're playing a wiffle ball game, you ought to have one part of the field be rinky-dink. But controlling the bat, being able to hit it that direction, to aim things towards that rinky-dinkness, that all goes into the game. So that's kind of why I got started on Enron and I don't think they even call it Enron anymore. I don't know, but I do know that it's less interesting and it's really too bad that that park, um, well, you know what? It's actually perfect that a team like the Astros, they got caught up in what they caught up, got caught up in. I don't know if that made any sense. It's a perfect park for them. The team that switches from the national league to the American 
It's just perfect. Um, they've basically cemented themselves as the Mickey Mouse franchise um, at this point, I think in all of sports. And not to say they're not a good team, a great team. Not to say the people that play there aren't wonderful athletes. But as a franchise, they're the ultimate rinky-dink. Currently. They can dig their way out of it. But that's where they stand. So, here's an interesting point. I was working with a guy that is from Detroit, grew up in Detroit, and he was a little younger than me, but we were pretty close to the same age. And he was a sports fan as I was learning more about him, and I was starting to get excited because I knew I was going to get to ask him the question I wanted to ask. Have you been to Tiger Stadium? The answer was yes. Have you been to their new park? Yes. I don't know that I've ever got to ask a person those questions and have them answer yes. So I finally had this opportunity to talk to someone about Tiger Stadium. Let me give you a little bit of background for myself with Tiger Stadium. Um, grew up watching Sports Center. <clears throat> always love the Tiger Stadium highlights because when people hit home runs there, there always seemed to be something special. However, no one ever seemed to hit a home run to center field. I can't think back on any home run in Tiger Stadium to dead center. I've looked them up on YouTube and I haven't found them. I would love to be able to witness one because uh, Tiger Stadium's gone. It's not coming back. So if anyone knows how to uh, find such a thing, I would love to watch that probably as much as just about anything. But Tiger Stadium, you had Cecil Fielder cranking dingers to left field. If he got absolutely all of it, he could maybe put it on the roof and maybe put it over. Maybe just hit off the facing. Maybe put it on the roof, but then it rolls back. Maybe bounce on the roof, maybe goes over. But the fans really responded to a Cecil Fielder roof bomb. And then the right field, bordering right there on Rinky Dink. And one thing I noticed when I was a kid was, I don't really ever remember, how come I never see anyone hit a home run into the first deck? Why do all the home runs seem to be in the second deck? I found out later that the second deck actually hangs over the right field wall. Well, it used to. Now, couldn't you imagine in today's society people going, that's so stupid. It, it's not fair that it hangs over it. Nothing should hang over the left field wall. Well, why not? Why can't it? I thought it made it more interesting. How often did I see a sports center highlight with Mickey Tendleton hitting two left-handed bombs to right field, both in the upper deck? There was something interesting about that. For some reason, I fell in love with that park. There was something about it that I really just gravitated to. I always wanted to go there, but my parents didn't really travel a whole lot, and I didn't really entertain the idea of traveling by myself. And so when I had heard that the last year was going to be in Tiger Stadium was going to be played in 1999, it didn't actually occur to me that I could go to a game on my own. I'd never traveled by myself, so I didn't entertain that thought. And now, looking back, I have lots of regret. 
never got to see it, never got to walk in, experience it, never got to see uh, Trammell and Whitaker turn a double play. Um, I just, I missed it all. It's all just highlights. Highlight memories. And what's left of YouTube and uh, fix final game Grand Slam and things like that. Tiger Stadium's interesting, not just because I had a weird fascination with it, but it's interesting because there was a fight to keep it. There was a big fight to keep Tiger Stadium as the place where the Detroit Tigers played their games. And it was very old, so you had Ty Cobb and Denny McLean and Fielder and Trammell Whitaker, all these people, Kurt Gibson, that had created memories and created history in this park. But it was getting old. It was falling apart. And from what I hear, it was pretty ghetto in those areas, Michigan and Trumbull. So despite fans putting up a fight, they decided to build a new park and represent baseball in the town of Detroit elsewhere. And I kind of just didn't want to believe it, but again, it's American League, so I didn't pay too much attention. But every year since 99, I think I've regretted it a little bit more that I had wasn't ever... Uh, or. I shouldn't say wasn't able. I didn't step in the yard. So this guy from Detroit, the way he described it to me, because I asked him a handful of questions, and I said, okay, speak for the entire baseball community of Detroit. Tell me this. Do the people wish they had Tiger Stadium back, or are they happy with the new park they got? And he thought about it for a sec and he said, I think they're over it. I think they're good with what they got. And he kind of had this, uh, in his voice, you could tell that while they all missed it, they all could accept that it's gone. And he said the new park just came out brilliant. And it was kind of a home run in its own right, that they did it the right way and they built a really cool spot. And it gave me a little curiosity to see the new park. Um, I'll always miss the old one, but then a thought came into my mind. Okay. So they did a good job with the new park. That's great. It's great for baseball, but let's, let's ask the question to the, the true fans, the true fans that are from Detroit, that have been to games in both parts, both parks, you know, probably had their dad take them to Tiger Stadium when they were kids, and now they're going to the new yard. All things being equal, you've had 20 years to play at the new park. You got one game. Where do you go and see it? You want the new park? You want the old park? You want the old, dilapidated bathrooms or the new amenities? What would you prefer? And I just have this feeling that almost everyone would say Tiger Stadium. And I know it's not a completely fair question because if I had a chance to go to one more Giants game, 
and it was in Candlestick or it was in what I call Pac Bell, what's now Oracle. Oracle's cool. You hit home runs in the ocean. It's cool as hell. Are you kidding me? It's Candlestick. There's So I understand that we have a draw towards the nostalgia, but it's still a question worth asking. Would it have been worth it? And what would it have done for baseball if we had saved Tiger Stadium and the Tigers were still playing their games there? Because I'm sure that you can renovate it in a way that it does get nicer, but yet the integrity, excuse me, the integrity of the park is held. And the history, you know, that word that I've brought up so often in these conversations, history. Baseball really depends on history. Would it be better if the games were in Tiger Stadium? I mean, the Giants played the Tigers in the World Series 2012. I was in a boat in the bay. Pablo Sandoval hit three home runs. I believe in his first three at bats. It's something I'll never forget, but man, how cool would it have been if Romo would have got that last strikeout and it was in Tiger Stadium? It would have been that much more unforgettable. So I can't help but feel like We made a huge gaffe letting Tiger Stadium go. But the people of Detroit really feel like they're better off in their new park. There's nothing I can really do or say about that. But I have a sneaking suspicion with each year that passes, they're going to miss that stadium or ballpark, however you want to put it more and more. So that's the Tiger Stadium tragedy. Um... Yeah, wish I could have gone. Okay. We're going to go into a topic that, um, as this is uh, what I'll call the hump episode. It's episode five. Got nine episodes, 360 minutes total. I've been wanting to get to this topic from day one. And when I was drawing up my first episode, this one was circled as like, a, if there's still enough time, talk about this. So don't feel like because it's episode five that it's the fifth most important thing to talk about. Um, this, again, is just at the root, the crux of the entire concept of this show. Answering that question Chris Broussard gave us. Why can't baseball change? Well, I'll tell you. There was a. I was listening to um, KNBR Bay Area Radio. This is maybe ten years ago, and there was a there was a guest host, and he had a a sport. You know, I don't think he was a guest host. I think he had his own time slot. Um, but he asked the question: What's uh, what's the worst moment in sports? And people were calling in and giving their answer and. 
And I gave him mine, and he said, well, you know, I wouldn't call that the worst moment in sports. Worst moment for me was I saved up uh, two months' worth of work st- or <laughs> pay stubs so that I could buy a ticket to go to the uh, Ollie Liston, um, God, was it the rematch? Whichever one where Liston goes down on the phantom punch. And he said, man, that one hurt. I thought I was going to see a 15-round slugfest, and instead... Uh, listen through the fight so i think that's the worst moment in sports history but the answer i gave to him was the worst moment in sports history absolutely was 2002 all-star game played in milwaukee wisconsin who won well that one ended in a tie oh so there must have been a, a rain delay Nope, nope, no rain delay. Mm, okay, so was it like, geez, like crazy, like 2 a.m. Or, or midnight or they had to call the game? No, no, they didn't. They didn't have to call the game. They uh, they ended the game, I believe it was the 11th inning uh, tie. So... The reason why this is the worst moment in sports history is that's the most bullshit thing I've ever heard in my life, that it's a tie. That a game of baseball can end in a tie in the professional ranks. I did a little research, and there was another all-star game that did end in a tie. It had been a while. I wasn't around when that happened, so I didn't really research anything more about it. And frankly, I don't really care why it was a tie back then. What we're talking about here is the 2002 All-Star Game. And let me walk you through why this really makes me sick. I remember this happened, and there was a lot of uh, reporting that the (laughs) drunken Milwaukee fans spotted Bud Selig in the stands... And once they found out that they were calling the game in a tie, uh, Bud started to get real nervous, and he left the park. And as he was leaving the park, people were throwing things at Bud like crazy. Lots of empty bottles. There's a lot of liquids in the air. Well, what's interesting about this is it was an extraordinarily memorable event for those of us that paid attention. Um... But you can't find that anywhere on YouTube. Um, and I think I have a, a hunch that there's been some dollar bills paid to remove um, such evidence of unpopularity of old Bud Selig. This is why... Let me tell you what was wrong with the tie all-star game. So maybe a year or two ago, I really wanted to see beers in the air. I wanted to see the whole event all over again. And so I looked up the game on YouTube and there it was, the game in its entirety. So the announcers for the game um, for television viewership were the old... um, World Series announcers, Joe Buck, Tim McCarver. At some point pretty late in the game, they start to mention how they're running out of pitchers. 
start asking the question, hmm, wonder wonder what they're going to do if they run out of pitchers. How are they going to handle this? Um, and as the game progressed, you started to see, and this is getting towards the like ninth, 10th inning, you start to see the managers getting nervous. I think there was even a um, conversation with the National League manager, Bob Renly, during the game because it was an exhibition with the manager and they didn't exa- they didn't really want to answer the question what they were going to do because they didn't know how the game was going to end but they were starting to talk about the issue of what do we do if we run out of pitchers now to anyone who's been a fan of the game for any amount of time you're probably smart enough to come up with a solution. Well, there's nine athletes on the field and have one of them pitch. I pause for dramatic effect. Why, why would we not do that? Well, what makes me real, real sick about this, and Buck and McCarver must have been in on this because they were they did not mention one word on the telecast of this being a possibility. What Brenly and Bud Selig what everyone was reporting was we had no choice. What did you want us to do? We were out of pitchers. Well, dream this up for a minute. Let's think about the alternative. Why do we even have an all-star game? For the fans, right? Is it for the players so that they know that they've been recognized as the best in the game or is it a game for the fans well it's probably both but the all-star game is for the fans so let's just say that Derek Jeter was in the game and he says uh coach I'll pitch Derek Jeter goes in in the 11th inning. No, you know what? The game went 11, I believe. Let's say they did not decide to end it in a tie, and they went out on the field for the 12th inning. Derek Jeter takes the mound. What if he struck out the side? Do you think the National League fans would have cheered and been excited about that? I think they would have been. What if one of their hometown heroes hit a walk-off off Derek Jeter to win the game? The point I'm trying to make is the perfect thing was happening to create drama and excitement for a game that is played for drama and excitement more than any other. That might not be true, but it's an exhibition game. 
dream up the coolest outcomes that may have happened. But not only did those not happen, they pretended they weren't even possible. Now, why would they pretend such a thing? And when I say they, all the people involved, Bud Selig, both representatives of their leagues, all the people that were directly involved in this game, why would they not do that? Because we don't look at ball players anymore as humans that play baseball. We think of them as investments. Bob Branley and Bud Selig and whoever the American League representative manager was couldn't stomach the fact that if they were at the helm and they put another team's player out on the mound and they got hurt, they could never forgive themselves. Wouldn't it have been nice if they just would have had the courage to tell you the truth instead of pretending and hiding and saying there was no other option? Even though, Jesus interpret the rules just a little bit everybody knows that if you run out of pitchers you either forfeit the game or you find someone that will take them out and pitch these are the finest baseball athletes (laughs) what a missed opportunity I've heard Bud Selig talk in other interviews about people attacking him for ending that game, and he's still defending himself. You know what? Because he's still wrong. It was the worst moment in sports history, if you ask me. A tie baseball game. At the highest level. The greatest players in the world on the field. And instead of even trying to get somebody to take the mound, they just canceled the game. So, Bud, I'm not an advocate of violence, but you deserve to get those things thrown at you because you just slapped the entire history of baseball right in the face. And that's on your hands. So you might still feel like you made the right decision, but it's in that's on your hands. You made that call. Bob Brindley played for the Giants, and I he always seemed like the world's nicest guy. I I still can't stand him. There was something about if this sounds interesting to you at all, watch watch the end of the game. Listen to Buck and McCarver and watch how these people handled their, themselves and just see how scared everyone was. And instead of doing the right thing and playing the game, they did the chicken shit thing. And they pissed on the fans. And pissing on the fans, you can only do that so much before the fans start to turn on you. So, in a way, you know, it's not quite a rule change, but it kind of falls into that category as far as 
we really, really need to respect the history of the game. And if you're going to make a decision that changes things history-wise, blood's on your hands. And too bad that not one of the players stood up and said, I'll go out and pitch. And maybe they did, and, and someone shut them down. But mostly, too bad for Bud Selig, Tim McCarver, and Joe Buck. I mean, okay, let's even take Selig out of this. You two are the ones that call the World Series. McCarver, you don't do it anymore. But Joe Buck, you're important to the sport. And you're not even going to mention that it's possible that a non-pitcher could take the mound? You've been doing the announcing for this sport a long time. Yep, that blood's on your hands, too. All right, it's August 12th. This is Mona Lisa Baseball. I will see you next week. (laughs) 